Hey, welcome back to the podcast. We are stepping into a new uh, topic called influence, and it's the fourth pillar of our uh, four-pillar program that makes up Mission 300. That's identity, strength, courage, and influence. And just a quick reminder again, identity and strength is what's been given to you. Strength is what when you begin putting it into action and it becomes those things that have been given become strong and they become developed. And then we went into courage, which is the transition point of using what you have to begin affecting the lives of other people. And you go from personal development into giving that away. So that's the courage pivot point, and we discussed those over the last several episodes. Now we're stepping into influence, and influence is the result, really, of all of those three pillars. How does that affect the world around us? How do people's lives change from it? And what is the real purpose of who you are and why you're here? Influence really is the culmination of everything we've been talking about. And for some people, I know for me at least, it was something that I used to not really understand or kind of not really want to approach because influence seems like you're imposing your will on someone else or that it's you trying to manipulate someone into doing something they don't want to do. But honestly, all of us have influence and all of us do influence people every single day. I think the only question is, what are you using your influence for? How is your influence being used? Because you have it regardless of whether you want to or not. As long as you're interacting with other human beings, you're having an influential effect on them, positive or negative. And so we wanted to look at a few things in scripture and in history on what does this look like for us as believers? How do we use this? What does it look like practically day by day? I think um, I want to tag on to something you said before we hit into it is, you know, some people say I don't have influence. They're just receivers. Some people are just easily influenced, but they don't realize when we just are easily influenced, our behavior and our actions adopt that influence. And then we're indirectly affecting people around us. So no matter how you want to look at it, you're still influencing other people, even if you think you're insignificant. Because even letting your mind be that way of, I'm insignificant, I have no real influence around you, you indirectly are influencing other people in that same way of thinking. So it really becomes uh, a very important piece to understand that we need to utilize this and, and understand it so we can have a different impact. Because every choice or non-choice that we make tangibly affects the world around us. So, you know, a couple stories that were coming to mind when we were talking about this, and I'll hit my favorite one, um, and that is the story of William Wallace. Everybody's probably seen Braveheart. If they haven't, they've heard stories so about it. But in the true story, which, which is somewhat actually legendary because we don't know a lot of details. We knew where he was born. We believe that there was uh, a woman in his life that was killed. We know what was going on in England at the time when this was all taking place and affecting Scotland. Short story, we finally get to the point that Wallace starts uniting the the uh, the group. And one thing that influenced Wallace was a, was a pivotal point. And again, this is somewhat legendary, but there is enough um, circumstantial evidence to bring this out, was there was a woman in his life that was killed by the English. And up to that point, he was really more of a pacifist. He didn't really want to be involved in it. His family had died from war. He didn't. He just wanted to get along. 
He just, he, he was done until this event happened and something stirred in him to move forward. And we'll talk a little bit more about how the dynamics of influence uh, impact because I don't think that that event influenced him. I believe that event released what had been influencing him his whole life. And so anyway, at that point, he began uh, gathering some of the men of Scotland and they began uh, preparing and they eventually attacked uh, England and they won the battle in Stirling and it began a movement that began changing the course of Scotland uh, for a season. Then we know at the end, it finally came to the point where the Scottish leaders didn't really have a good feeling about that because they were going to lose their estates and their lands that were freely given to them through the socialist ideas of the King of England. I'm going to give you something for nothing. You oppress your people and you're going to have something. And so they didn't want to give that power base up. They were kind of like Jesus Pharisees. We, we like where we sit. We don't care what the cost is as long as we get the benefit. And so eventually they betrayed Wallace. Wallace ends up getting killed. And at that point, what was stirring in the future king of Scotland was Robert the Bruce. And really the whole story about uh, William Wallace and Braveheart is really the story about Robert the Bruce. It was him starting to get the courage of who he was, knowing who he was, taking the strengths that he had, and he had to navigate his life courageously, face his own dragon, until finally he, after Wallace was dead, it was about 20 years later, he rose up and in the spirit of Wallace and under the influence of what he's seen, he turned and defeated the English on their land and took back Scotland and it became an independent nation. And I think when I see the influence and how long it took for uh, Robert the Bruce to let go of different thinking so he could embrace this. I, I think that's an amazing story of how influence takes place. So William Wallace was the catalyst and the influence on Robert the Bruce that turned the nation around. But it was Robert the Bruce's action that actually delivered the nation. And I, I, I like that picture. And so I think we'll break that down a little bit more and go through some different stories. But when I see influence, it's really not an outside force. It's really more of someone learning to respect, they get a respect for someone else's ideas or they get a respect for the messenger over time. And then those words become a part of that person. And it's important to know that your the influence is really coming from belief systems and ideas that have really been forged on the inside of you that you believe. Because you can influence negatively, you can influence positively, you can influence in many different avenues, but it's really based on beliefs that someone else that you trust or an idea that you trust have become part of you and they've taken root. And then a catalyst happens and starts releasing that out. And that's my non-scientific explanation of that. But we'll peel that apart as we go forward. I mean, that's really how it works, though. And I wonder if that's why so many people don't think that they are influential that so many people don't think they have influence because it can take a long time to see any external change in someone because of the influence that's been started in them internally. Like, I wonder if Wallace really saw the influence that he had on Robert the Bruce. I mean, maybe he did in part, but I doubt that he fully saw the, the effect that he was having on him. And maybe that's part of the issue for us because we're looking at an external thing and saying, well, 
I'm not really influencing people because people aren't doing what I tell them to do. Well, that's kind of a shallow view on influence. But like you said, it's really more about, you know, planting something on the inside of someone else that grows and it comes out in them. It's, it's a process of growth and it can take a lot of time to develop. But if you understand that you have it to give and to plant in the first place, that's, that's where the whole process starts. I mean, there's tons of stories throughout history of people that made an impact on someone else's life. And I wish I would have gotten the chance to tell that person how much they meant to me. That person might not have ever known, but that influence was so strong that it came out eventually. I like that word planting. Because I think if we really talk about, there's two aspects to influence. There's, there's the messenger, right? We talked about your identity, your strengths that you have, and then you courageously act on on something because it's right or for the, for the sake of love for that person. Remember, it's always motivated by love. And we don't know how much that is affecting a key person that may at that time be rejecting you, may at the time be rejecting yep. that idea, but it is planting something deep. And that's what we see in Robert the Bruce, because Robert the Bruce wasn't for this at the beginning. He was for his inheriting what his father had already prepared for him. But, but Wallace was never trying to be king either. He was just doing something, knowing what was right at the time, but he didn't want to be king. He was trying to get the Bruce to stand up. He was trying to get the noblemen to stand up. He wanted them to exercise their power, but they wouldn't do it. So he took action, but he was never trying to take over as, as a king. And I think that's a big difference in true influence is you're not trying to become something you're not. You're not trying to be something that you weren't uh, designed for. Like King David knew he'd be king, but he never had to make himself be king, but he kept influencing everything around him and it created enemies and it created friends and it created opportunity and it opened doors and it caused problems. But he was walking in that, but he was influencing people around him in a, in a really a powerful way that it built something that when the time was right, things were in place. So that's interesting. Let me ask, do you think then looking at influence that you can only influence someone to be something that they already have either the potential to be or that they're already becoming themselves? Or can you influence someone to completely change who they are? So in other words, can you change who someone is with your influence? Or do they already have to be something and your influence can simply help them either grow faster or get there faster or become that person sooner than they otherwise would. So this might sound like a play on words, but you can't be a something more than what you already are. That's where we go back to identity. The issue is, and I love how Ravi Zacharias, the, apologetic, the apologist, illustrates this so perfectly that he can interact with any group of people in any platform, still share his faith about Jesus Christ, but people don't dislike him and there's a reason why. He sees God's unique value and worth in every single person, even if they're not mm. receiving what they could be. And because of that, it goes beyond the mental. He doesn't attack a person. He doesn't degrade a person. He doesn't, I'm right, you're wrong. He does it. He communicates truth in a way that goes against what people believe but in a way because he sees the value of what God created in each person. And so when we're looking at influence, I think where we go wrong with it is we're trying to get other people to believe something that we're passionate about, 
but we're really not caring about that person. We just want them to change their ideas. That's not true influence because that's what Lucifer did. Lucifer came into the garden and didn't threaten Eve. He just twisted words enough to, for her identity to shift so he influenced on a negative side her into something, manipulated her into, into an idea that when Adam came along and they agreed to this, all of a sudden we have people that had fallen. And keep in mind, what did they fall? They went from one position to another position because now they believed that they were something less. So Lucifer had some kind of connection that he could be heard. And then that influenced Eve and Adam. So in some sense, to, so, to, to your point, we could be influenced away from what we are. And we could be influenced into what we are. But the truth is, the core of what we are is the thing that's being messed with. So I, I, I think in some, set, in some ways, to make it simple, it's both. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I guess that's why it has to come after the other three pillars like we talked about. So you've already got identity. There's already strength. There's already courage. And then influence comes out of that. And that applies both to you looking at yourself and looking at other people too. So if someone doesn't have an identity or they don't think they have an identity, you can't really you can't really get them to be an influential person in their identity that they don't have. Like that's just kind of backwards. And so for each person that you interact with, you kind of have to start at that same starting point, right? Yeah. Well, and and even if we look at um why are we influenced by negative people? It's usually because from other core beliefs, from from things that we've trusted or experience we've had that we've formed core beliefs within ourselves, we're easily adapted and have a listening ear to the thing that validates those points. Where in the case with Robert the Bruce and and Wallace, if if some of the stories were true, Wallace was trying to influence by saying, Bruce, you are the king. Bruce, you are the king. Almost like Wallace had to lift Bruce up so the influence could take place. Where if Wallace just came and said, Bruce, you're nothing. I'm taking over this nation. He would have never influenced. So, and again, true, the, the purest, most impactful, you have to go to the person's identity first, then you bring the information. Just like Satan was trying to do with Jesus. If you are the son of God, then do this. If you are the son of God, then do this. And so, the two parts of this, we have the individual that's going to be the planter. He's warring in courage. But in order for that way, when he's done and he's living, it's influencing others that will see their identity, work in their strengths, and then they operate in courage and influence takes place. But again, it can work on both sides. It can be a positive or a negative thing. Absolutely. And I think at times it seems like the negative is a lot more effective today. I mean, my, the thing that came to my mind was look at pretty much any social media platform. Posting something negative is going to get a bigger reaction than posting something positive in general. Obviously, there's exceptions to this, but it's interesting. There's a couple of pastors I was talking to the last few months about social media, and they said, I can post a scripture or an insight on something I'm preaching about, and it's great, and it's positive, and it's uplifting, and get a handful of likes. But if I post a news article about something political that people are against, that'll just start, you know, a war. That'll start a fire. And there's so much more interaction to that. And it doesn't even 
even have to be something that's divisive, just something negative, a sad news article of something that going on that makes people, you know, unhappy. And there'll be so much more interaction to that. So why does it seem that negative influence, you could call it that, is so much more effective than positive influence? I, I think it's the state of how we think about ourselves. I, I remember listening to this, this top, one of the top podcasters, he was talking about I can get a thousand positive comments on my on my podcast or anything that I'm doing, but it's that one negative anonymous comment, the the, neg- the anonymous one where the person doesn't even have the courage to say who they are, and they make some comment about it, and he goes, it messes with you for days, and I'm a confident person. It's like that one you you ignore all the hundred, but that one thing. And and we could see it just in our society, just our just our human nature. We never have good. I mean, good news does not sell newspapers. Yeah, negative news does. So it has to be bad. You, you will never have a newspaper that finally came to a solution. Hey, everybody, we're in a good state. This is what's going on. It's a happy day. Guess what? You can have a great life. That doesn't really sell. But if I sell you the negative, and it it wins. Even in Christianity, I mean, we need to know what the news is. We need to know what's going on, even from a Christian perspective. But I can sell the doom and gloom of the end times. Look how many books were written about the doom and gloom of the end times. Yeah. But what about the glory of the end times? You never really hear that really being portrayed. We hear the doom and gloom of the end times because that sells. We're just, we're inclined to that because we see ourselves in a warring state of, of gloom. And there's, there's more to it than that. And I'm really making that a very uh, trivialized idea. I think there's truth to it though, and that it's gotta be something that we bring up because here's the reality. If that's, if that's the case and the negative influence is so much more effective, if, if that's true, then how are we as believers, as people that have gone through this journey of identity, strength, and courage, how are we supposed to influence people effectively when it seems that the opposite way is so much more effective, like what are we supposed to do with that? This is this is really at the pinnacle of the que- uh, of the question. And if we go back through the identity, strength, and courage, one of the key elements was we don't value base the value of our life on people's opinions. We don't base the value of our life on what the world can offer us. And I know these seem very general, and I don't want to be over spiritual that we don't connect to that on a daily daily basis but just think about your job you know you're making the right decision and three of the people in the office don't like the decision you make it doesn't mean you don't be kind and you don't interact but if you bend to that you've just lost it but if you keep forward with it then all of a sudden in time either they come along and it influences or they end up going away or it begins still begins changing the culture, but here's the reality. You're always gonna what the moment you step into what you are, you're gonna have people for you and against you. And that's just that's the reality. And people don't want that. We just want everybody just to be, let's just love everybody. Right. You can still love this has nothing to do with loving everybody. It's about you want everyone to up, value you, but our value doesn't come from human opinion. So until that's kind of broken, that's where the bigger struggle is. You can even see that in the garden, because that's what—that's what—that's how Eve was tempted. God doesn't value the same way as He says He does. What? Mm-hmm. He doesn't. 
okay, that's at the core. The same thing within the, that's what Lucifer is trying to get Jesus to experience. He really says you're the son, but he won't really do these things for you. Prove it. Make him prove that he's going to do it. No, I, I'm, I'm not going to go that journey. So that was the war. Is his opinion true or is this opinion true? And that's really, um, that's more of the manipulative side of influence. But it's not really the influence side that has a long-term effect that we want to go down. I kind of also look at it as, you can relate it to food. So this is something I've, I've noticed in, in the church world and in the secular world, you can call it. The people that are continually using negative influence, however specifically you want to look at that, there's a lot of, there's like a sugar rush to that. Like it's something that people catch on to and everybody wants to dive onto it for a little while and everyone engages on that because for some reason, if there's a complainer and another complainer, they just like to complain together and it spreads and whatever it is. And there's all this negative influence there. But if you stand out from that and don't engage in it, you become the, well, this might be a weird metaphor, but you become the healthy food. And eventually people are going to understand how sick all the sugar makes them. And they're going to go looking for something healthy. And I think that's one of the things that has been such a strong point for Christianity is that you don't have to give in to that. I mean, well, you look at going back to the garden, there was that negative influence there and it had an immediate effect and there was consequences, but there was also a positive influence that happened in the garden. There was a promise of deliverance that was given there and the lasting effect of that was so much greater than the temporary and short-term impact of the negative influence. And when we can keep our minds on that and focus on that, it makes it a lot easier to kind of weed out the the metrics of the world. So, oh man, I'm you know, I'm trying to influence positively, but I'm not seeing a lot of feedback from it and you'll start to look at the likes or the conversations or the text messages you're getting and not value your positive influence, but you're not seeing the long-term results of it yet because it's a long-term gain. And so if we can be a little bit more long-term minded, it makes it a lot easier to accept that and flow in it. And that's what your identity truly is. Your identity is not a short-term sugar rush identity. It's stability, there's consistency, there's strength to it. Well, and I think part of the, the journey and the things that we face um, just because we live in life, we live in a fallen world, we live with a force that's against you, uh, that doesn't want you to rise up into what you are. So the reality is once you kind of just embrace the idea, I'm doing this for the long term, and the long term always pays off. And I think that really is the negative influence that we have, have that we experience every day is, yeah, but what's happening right now? Look at right mm -hmm. now. Look at right now. Look at right now. And we're so consumed with right now. And that's where materialism has has the negative effect of it is it gives you instant gratification. And we're, we, we want that. And we become so addicted to the instant gratification that really we become children again. And that was a very profound fact that we were talking to our guys and did, interviewed our guys in the program of when did change take place. And they all use these words and it, and they wasn't coming from the Bible. That was the only way they described it is when I quit being a child and I became a man. Well, what transition? I could see long-term. I could see it long-term. Yep. That is when the yep. break from childishness to adulthood 
took place is when the vision went longer. And I think that that is where you learn to endure things. You you get over things. You you start seeing things that everything, you know what, if if you have temporal dissatisfaction, it's just temporary. So the same argument that a negative influence of, well, you don't have it right now. What's happening right now? And those feelings and emotions that we like to drive our decisions on, we could use that in the other, in the in the opposite way. Well, this ain't this positive emotion ain't going to last very long either. So let's still think long term. So you start not being you enjoy the emotion in the moment, but you're not driven by that emotion. You can you can use it in the moment, but we need to get like you said. Let, let's get let's get look long term and not look for the temporal satisfaction. And that's really where influence has the most impactful uh, change. And I'll I'll just throw out Winston Churchill. Amazing, amazing story of his life, but he was not popular. He was not popular. He had a lot of problems in his life, and he was criticized a lot. But he stayed at what he believed he was, and and we could spend you could spend books on all of his fallacies and what he was. But here's the deal: when war finally came, it was the King of England could only find one person that could stand the resistance that needed to stand to stop what Germany was doing at that time and what Hitler had concocted and was bombing England. There was only one man who could handle that pressure, and that was Winston Churchill. And so, I mean, here's a guy that was, when you could talk to influence, he was not the personality of choice at times. I remember the story when this this, this woman came to him and said, Sir, you're drunk. And he goes, I am. And you're ugly. And in the morning, I'll be sober. And you'll still be ugly. I mean, that was that that, that summarized. He was just kind of out there like that. Yet he had such a deep belief in the cause of that God gave them England and, and who they were as a people and all those things. And it could withstand all that. Now, I'm not saying go be a rude jerk and that's how you're going to influence. I'm just saying... We've measured people based on how we feel about them in the mo- in the moment versus just watching the the sturdiness of their life over time, and it's funny how those words, his words today, are used all the time around the world as core leadership values. So he's become an influence over time over the world, yet he was not in he was not well received until the war happened. And then even after the war, the people didn't want him then anymore. They just wanted him for the war. But then when they wanted normal, good PR and to look good and to be nice and all that stuff, they needed somebody else. So again, I'm not saying you need to be like that. I'm just saying we've measured the wrong things of what truly makes influence. You state your identity, you state your strength. And some of those characteristics that might be ugly to some people were the core things necessary to defeat the tyranny of a nation invading. So you and I were talking about this earlier, and I wanted to dive a little bit more into that, because you look at the life of Jesus, very influential person, obviously, but the way he went about it was not always received by the populace, by the most popular people, wasn't received by everyone. And so you can look at certain things he did and maybe someone would have gotten discouraged because there's not an immediate influential impact happening. Or there is, 
but it's being understood in the wrong light. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit more about that because that really ties in to everything we've been talking about so far. I had to do a junior high chapel this week and my son asked, he goes, hey, dad, we talk about uh, Jesus in the temple. And he said, why do you want to talk about that? And he said, well, because people make Jesus so soft and just ooey gooey. Wasn't he manly? Like, and again, being kind and being considerate and loving people and being compassionate, that is manly. So I want to, I want to clause that, that that is a part of the outflow of who Jesus was. But as I was reading the story of the cleansing temple, there's it's written in all four Gospels. But there's one account in John, and then there's the account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke take place during the time when Jesus is going into Jerusalem, about a week before he's killed. Then there's the other story where in John, his first miracles at Cana, he picks his disciples, and now he goes in Jerusalem for the Passover. Now here's what's interesting. He's new on the scene at this point, and scholars believe that John's account is accurate, and they also believe the other uh, accounts are accurate. So there's two stories, two times he cleansed the temple. Just look at John for a moment. He does the miracle of the water to wine, his first miracle. He picks his disciples. Now he goes into Jerusalem. And when he goes into Jerusalem, and it says he made a whip. So this is... He, he's angry at what they're doing in the temple of the father's house of selling sacrifices, charging the poor more, uh, extracting money, making money off the money. I mean, they made Judaism an industry. And so Jesus was mad, makes the whip, premeditates it and goes in, dumps the money changers stuff, drives out all the cattle, whip, basically drives everybody out of the temple. This would appear to be a madman. What do you do with this guy? And then at the end, they notice something. Now, I just want you to imagine, I asked these kids before I told the story what we were talking about, how would you know if Jesus came in the room? And they started listing all these personality characteristics. Well, he would be kind, he would be nice, he would, you know, all these personality characteristics. Now, now there's truth to that, but you know what they're measuring it on? what they've been told Jesus looks like. So now they have this idea of what Jesus is to look like, and they're, and they're looking at it, and, and there's a truth to that. So they've been influenced based on the ideas of other people of what he should look like, and this is why we try to make people spend more time on behavior management inside the church versus the identity of the individual inside the mm -hmm. church. Because it's easier to manage behaviors than it is to release someone who's free. Because the moment you quit managing behaviors, you have to liberate them. So it's easier to keep them managed in the behaviors. And there is a point to this, so I, I'm not going off the rails. I, I'm just saying we, we spend time on the wrong thing. And so now you have Jesus coming in and is acting like this. And I asked the boys and girls after I got done, I said, what now, would that be the Jesus that you would recognize based on what you described? And they said, no. And I said, so what was he, was he doing wrong? And finally, one of the boys said something very profound. He said, no, he was doing what was right. And he carried authority doing it. And I thought, that is profound. But you know what? 
that doesn't describe who Jesus is. So any madman that goes in and tears up something that we feel we've been wronged by, like if you went into a, a store and you got ripped off and then the next day they got robbed by some bandits, would you walk away saying, well, they should, they have that coming. Look how they treated us when we were in there. Well, see, that's, that's kind of what we do. We get whatever our, our bias is or what we're needing, that's what we want Jesus to be. And, and there's a truth to that because he does meet you where you're at, but we can't identify Jesus based on how we want him to be perceived. So we go through this. So here's the point of the whole story. How did the disciples know this must be the one? How did, how did they know this? Because this has taken him off, them off guard too. How did they know? And it says in uh, John 2.17, Then his disciples remembered that it was written. Written where? In Psalms. Written in the Torah. Written by the ones they honored and respected, by Moses, by David, by the prophets. Written. Not personality of what they think he should look like, but what was written about him. And it says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And they remembered his passion towards God's, the Father's house. And that's how they knew it was him. Those were markings that it was him. And so I think it's very interesting that if we try to measure any person that has influence in our life based on certain characteristics we have believe he should have, we're going to miss the truest influence. And again, this can go either direction. So I'm not saying whether they should be rough or they should be kind. It depends on the scenario. Sometimes we think God should be mean and con condemning towards someone. Then he acts kind. We have the woman caught in the act of adultery. Why isn't he acting righteous right there? He was acting righteous and he didn't come to condemn the world. So now he's acting opposite. So if we go by how a person should act in any situation based on what we're feeling, we're going to miss the whole point. And if you try to do that and accommodate every person's whims and become politically correct to every person that's around you, you can never influence. They're actually influencing you to change. You're not influencing it. And so my point of that whole story wasn't whether he acted in rage or whether he should have acted kind. The act wasn't important. It was the fact that he was living from what he was, courageously doing it, didn't care about the people's opinion, but absolutely loved the people, which is why he was acting that way. And it started influencing the disciples because they saw this is the one. I love that story. It's such a good example of this whole thing we've been talking about and building up to. And, and as you were telling that, I was thinking of two different things there. So we'll look at that story of Jesus and some people would say, Maybe there was a better way to do it. Okay, actually, no one's going to say that about Jesus. But let's say it was someone other than Jesus. If we look at that story and use a person, anyone other than Jesus, we're going to say maybe they could have done it better. If they would have done it this way instead, they would have influenced more people or had a better influence. But you look at the people around at the time. The Pharisees would have been very upset. The people running the temple system would have been very upset and offended. But look at how someone would feel if they were being oppressed by that law and legalism system. That's a redeemer. That is going to influence someone that is held captive and cause them to realize, wait, deliverance is here for me. I'm actually now free. That's, that's so much more impactful. And the people that 
were critical of Jesus at the time or would be critical of someone else in our story, you got to remember these were people that were critical of Moses as well. Moses was just as misunderstood in what he did. Samson was just as misunderstood in what he did. And yet we've got these heroes in the Bible of deliverers, of people that did these things because the Spirit of God came upon them and they acted this way. And yet we misunderstand who they are and their character because we look at the way they did it and think, well, maybe that wasn't the best way. Maybe that was wrong. Maybe they could have done it a little bit different. And we completely miss the point. And so if we're spending all of our time trying to nitpick the specifics of an example and try to figure out the the secret formula to influence people and then step out into it. It's never going to happen. You're just going to be stuck in the same place that you were 10 years ago. But we see consistently here in history and in scripture, if someone steps out in who they are, that is influential. And the impact is, is so much greater, so much more influential than if you sit back and let fear and uncertainty try to dictate your actions and try to wait until you get the billboard sign on the street from God telling you what to do. You've got an identity. You've been given strength. There's courage there. Use it. That is such a, a, a great wrap of that. We'll get into more of these stories and going on. I just I, I want in this first episode to really start unlocking that we get rid of the idea of how it should look. How should influence be done? Because again, if we walk out of courage, out of love towards people, out of love towards something, your actions will follow in a way that will benefit in the long term those people. And we have to avoid the criticism. But if we really look at it, those acts, we don't understand fully what's in the heart of people but if we're being inspired, which is, means like a spiritual insight, a spiritual motivation to go doing, that's what the word inspired, to go act. We don't care about people's opinions. We're not there to hurt people. We're not looking to get the popular vote. We're just looking to do what's right in those situations. And we consider our life long term. And if we influence one person, like the woman at the well, or one person, the madman and uh, Gadarenes, they changed their full communities by that one person. It's always, there's a person that will be affected by that, and the disciples were affected by this. But again, Jesus didn't try to manipulate an act. Okay, today I'll be angry, to tomorrow I'll be kind. This No, he just lived what he was under the pure value that he was his father's son. And he was walking in love selflessly, towards other people. And I think that's the big picture. I think that's where we'll start this whole series around influence. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to be back next week to continue this discussion on influence and take this time to start using it. Let us know what's been standing out to you in this whole series of identity, strength, courage, and now influence. You can get us on Facebook under Outbound Life. You can comment on the podcast. You can go to outboundlife.org, all these places. There's a lot of conversations happening, and I encourage you guys to join in on it and let us know what's been standing out to you so far, and we'll be back next week.